Welcome to Help Me to Understand, a podcast where women give their voices to issues of social justice, political activism, giving back, and other topics relevant today. I'm your host, Felicia Garland. As you look around, you can't avoid the fact that we live in an age of political and social divisions, global warming, economic and racial inequality, and a breakdown in many of our social structures. And that was just this morning's news. I find it can be all so confusing, and I bet you do as well. Perhaps you'd like to make a difference in the world, even if only a small one, but you feel you need more knowledge and understanding around the issues we face in order to develop the tolerance, empathy, and compassion you need to become a force for good. It's my mission with this podcast to hear from women who are working every day to make a difference. So welcome, curious listener, to this journey of discovery and understanding. I'm so glad you're here. Together, let's become a force for good. With this episode, I begin a three-part series focusing on caregiving and caregivers. For this first episode, I'm excited to be speaking with Lauren Gelberg-Goff. Lauren is a licensed clinical social worker, author, gifted psychotherapist, workshop facilitator, and keynote speaker. She offers a variety of therapeutic modalities which encourage and support individuals to live authentically empowered and fulfilled lives. In addition to her private practice, Lauren is a sought-after speaker and workshop leader addressing stress management, self-care, self-esteem and forgiveness, among other topics. Her audio meditations have received international acclaim in their effectiveness to enhance self-esteem, promote inner healing, and aid in stress management and relaxation. Lauren's most recent book, Take Back Your Life, A Caregiver's Guide to Finding Freedom in the Midst of Overwhelm, teaches caregivers how to take as good a care of themselves as they do of those they love. Her life-changing group program, Take Back Your Life, guides participants to live their lives free of chronic, daily anxiety, and overwhelm while minimizing the feelings of guilt, anger, and resentment that caregivers frequently experience. While Lauren's private practice is based in New Jersey, she serves clients nationwide. Hi, Lauren. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be here, Felicia. This is wonderful. So I'm going to start with just discussing sort of the basic work that you and I, when we first met years ago, that you were doing, and I think is kind of the focus of your first book, Take Back Your Life, The Caregiver's Guide to Finding Freedom in the Midst of uh, Overwhelm. Tell me a little bit about the typical situation, if there is such a thing. I know everybody is different, but what do you see generally in your practice and what are some of the issues that, that, you, that come up and that you, you'd handle with your clients? Well, I think most caregivers can relate to the reality of their lives as feeling more isolated feeling more alone in the work that they do, that family, extended family and friends really don't understand, don't, air quotes, don't get it. Mm -hmm. And they start feeling resentful that their lives have become so shrunken, limited. They feel guilty because they have these feelings of resentment then they feel like they're not doing a good enough job, that they could or should be doing more, whether they want to or not. Some people strive for that 
perfection. There's almost like this feeling of, I can just make it all better. And Mm -hmm. for the most part, you know, when we're caregiving in a short term, something acute, it's awesome. You feel gratified, you feel rewarded, you feel appreciated. And in the short term, that's wonderful. And it's what can Mm -hmm. motivate us to want to do more. So that when an acute situation becomes chronic or long-term, that's when some of these other feelings come in because now this is normal life. Everybody else's life has gone back to their, their normal. And what is the caregiver's normal now? So it becomes this real inner conflict. And I think while you don't necessarily go through stages kind of the way Elizabeth Kubler-Ross outlined stages of grief, which mm-hmm. don't happen in a sequential manner. Right. Or smooth. I'm sure it's very bumpy and lumpy. And, and we go forward. back and mm-hmm. we come forward and we have moments and so for the most part, it's for caregivers, we get overwhelmed by the chronicity of something. And this is all my life is versus connecting to moments that are warm, loving, even wonderful and uplifting. Mm-hmm. But most caregivers start to lose connection with joy and happiness and ease in their lives. Mm-hmm. Do do they sometimes feel as though their guilt, the guilt for the resentment, but also that they've been burdened upon? Why me? Why why not my sibling? How come this? How come that always falls to me? Is that part of what they have to also contend with? That's absolutely part of it. That we ask the how did you become the primary caregiver? And it brings out what the relationships are among siblings, Mm -hmm. among other family members, who else is involved, if anybody. Mm -hmm. People who tell me they're all alone, there is no one else. It's exploring possibilities outside the box and then feeling guilty that Mm -hmm. you want to sort of shed the responsibility You get angry at siblings that they're not more involved, even if rationally you may understand they live further away, they have different kinds of jobs. Maybe they never had the relationship with a parent that you may have, or maybe you never had the relationship with your parent that you're that's now being thrust upon you. Mm -hmm. So it's all the decision-making processes that can trigger feelings of guilt anger, resentment, frustration. Mm -hmm. And most caregivers appear to have it all together. I'm sure they want to show the the world that they're got it under control. I got this. No, Mm -hmm. no problem. And so people on the outside, including sometimes siblings and extended family members, don't even think anymore to ask, are you okay? What do you need? Because there becomes this incredible, unconscious though it may be, need in the in the caregiver to prove they've got it all together and they can handle everything because that impacts some of their self-esteem. Mm-hmm. 
because caregivers have a hard time asking for help because I'm, it I'm may sure be do. a sign of, mm-hmm. does that mean I'm a failure? Mm-hmm. That I'm not capable. It's going to bring in judgment and criticism. I'll be seen as weak. So it's a conglomeration of all these feelings that may have nothing to do specifically with caregiving, Mm -hmm. but the history of your relationships, your own self-esteem, how you've taken care of yourself or not taken care of yourself in the past. Mm -hmm. So the work that I do is to help weed out some of these old beliefs and messages so that you as an individual person who has the responsibility of being a caregiver Mm -hmm. can create new boundaries, new beliefs. And this is true, Felicia, not only for family caregivers, but -hmm. professional caregivers, those who are AIDS, those uh-huh. who provide nursing care, long-term care, there's a whole lot that goes into being the person mm-hmm. who provides the tender, loving care, the time, the energy, the compassion. Mm-hmm. And when we give it all away to someone else, even someone we love, even mm-hmm. people who we feel an obligation toward or a responsibility toward mm-hmm. when we give it all away, what are we left with? So we have to find ways to recharge our batteries. Mm-hmm. Now do you do that on a one-on-one basis uh, or is there, I know you have a program we can talk about later, your group and almost a support group. Does it help? a caregiver when they see that other people are going through this? I'm not the only one. Um, I'm not unique. Does that kind of support happen? Absolutely. There are over, I forgot the exact number, but there are close to 50 million family caregivers in the United States alone. And every caregiver feels like it's only me. Mm -hmm. I'm the only one. So it is very isolating. And the group affords the opportunity to not only hear the issues that other people are going through, but to connect to new strategies for taking as good care of yourself as you do of the people you love. So it is a huge benefit for them. When we first got together, Many years ago, of course, you told me about this work, so thank you for putting that in perspective. But when we reconnected recently about and talked about doing this little conversation, you told me your story and which, you know, (laughs) doctor heal thyself, I guess. But tell us a little bit about that. And were you much better prepared than the average person? Well, you know, yes, uh, in many ways I was. Because of the work I do, it kind of gave me a perspective. At Christmas of 2019, my son, who was in the Air Force, was diagnosed with leukemia as a direct result of his job in the Air Force. And so that was Christmas of 2019. And the expectation was that he would get chemo. They would do a, he was a great candidate for 
bone marrow transplant. The ex expectation is he would be cured and he would be fine and life would be wonderful again. And so he went through six weeks of inpatient chemo down near his Air Force base and then was given permission to come home for a bone marrow transplant. And now we are in the beginning of March of 2020 when COVID was now at its height. And in the midst of this, his dad, my husband, had a mild stroke and ended up in the hospital. So now they're both in a hospital near home. And my son was now, because he had no immune system, was diagnosed with COVID and placed in a medically induced coma. My husband was now in a rehab center and diagnosed with COVID and placed on a ventilator because that's what they were doing early on. So literally within a week of him being placed, having had the stroke, he, my husband, we took him off the ventilator and he passed away on March 24th. And my son remained in the pediatric ICU because the regular ICU was overrun. Mm -hmm. And he got amazing, amazing care. And he passed away on June 3rd of 2020. So it was overwhelming. It was mm -hmm. devastating. It was isolating because nobody could come. What saved me, uh, and I believe mm -hmm. saved me, was my ability to work. Okay. So you continued to work through, because these were very intense, intense caregiving. It wasn't a, kind of a long, you know, you need, they need little amounts of care. They need, and even though they were in other facilities, so right. you didn't have the, you know, in your home necessarily. No, but because I thought my son would be coming home and would probably need oxygen mm -hmm. and whatever. I had my mm -hmm. whole house. I put a generator in my house for the whole house to be up and running, whatever would mm -hmm. be. So emotionally, it was traumatic. And because, again, of the virus, very few people could come around, mm -hmm. did come around. So there are many people who have experienced the loss of a loved one or the extensive illness of a loved one in the isolation of the pandemic. And that has created even more trauma for people because even though we can all feel isolated, now you really are isolated. Extremely isolated. And what about the people who were in long-term care facilities and now mm -hmm. you can't even go visit them and provide the support you used to provide. Mm -hmm. So on the one hand, you can feel terrible that you can't see your loved one, that they can't see you. The dementia that occurred for a lot of people being in that isolation was mm -hmm. devastating. But now there was another side to it. There was some amount of relief for people. Because oh. now they had a reason they couldn't provide care. Uh huh. Could people, I mean, I imagine some people actually placing a loved one in a facility 
COVID or no COVID, that there must be a little bit of their guilt associated with that as well? For some people, there really is guilt because spouses, in well, I can't even generalize to spouses, but people make promises to mm-hmm. a loved one. I will keep mm-hmm. you home. You can stay home. It will be all right. I will take care of you. We'll manage. And that promise is made in really good faith without understanding that changes happen. What happens when the caregiver himself or herself cannot physically manage anymore? What sure, if your spouse could be your same age? Sure. And right. Be, sure. If it, listen, people are living longer and longer. We have Mm -hmm. parents who are living well into their 90s, even Mm -hmm. 100 and more. So their children can be in their 70s, Mm -hmm. having their own physical limitations, their own health issues, their own grandchildren and adult children to lives that they're part of. Mm -hmm. How do we balance it all? So we have to make decisions that can feel Inner with a lot of inner conflicts about mm-hmm. people feel like, well, I'm breaking a promise. Mm-hmm. They can get guilt-induced messages from family members. How can you do that? Uh-huh. And judgments are easy, Felicia. They really are. Mm-hmm. Self-judgment as well as external judgment. Absolutely. Because here's the thing. We judge based on our own lives. I tell people all the time, don't take anything personally, nothing, nothing. Mm-hmm. Like if you can see in capital letters, the word <laughs> nothing is ever personal. It's always about the person who's speaking. Mm-hmm. So if I, ta- if I make the comment, oh my God, how can you do that? That's on me. Mm-hmm. Not you, because I'm not in your shoes. I'm not living your daily life. I'm not seeing the pain or the struggle or the mm-hmm. challenges. So it's easy for me to judge. So it's a big step mm-hmm. when a caregiver can say, this is for the greater good. And You asked a question before, you know, why is this happening to me? Why me? Mm -hmm. And I strongly recommend that people change that question to why is this happening for me? Oh, so there's a lesson in all this or many lessons. Right. If it's happening for me, we shift our perspective. Mm-hmm. There's something here for me. It, it may not feel good. You know, the expression, mm-hmm. they say the truth shall set you free. No one ever said it would make you feel good. good. <laughs> right. <laughs> so if this is happening for me rather than to me. Okay. It's so not a guilt situation. It's not karma. It's not something I did in a prior life that's right. you know, being punished. Okay. Right. If it's happening to me, I feel like a victim. Poor me. Mm-hmm. If it's happening for me, then there's something greater, bigger, as you said, lesson or lesson Mm -hmm. that I can take from it. Life experiences from which I can learn and grow. Mm -hmm. 
and it changes that inner conflict. So taking that and applying it to your situation, were you able to see, have you been able to see, or are you still working on, frankly, lessons that were there for you? It's absolutely working on it all the time. You know, I remember when my husband first passed and my son, we really thought he was going to Mm -hmm. come through and be okay. My thought was, okay, Lloyd, you went to the other side so you can perform some miracle on the other side. Mm -hmm. And of course, when my son passed, I was furious. I was like, No, it wasn't supposed to happen this way. What you were feeling. No. And you weren't supposed to get him for eternity. No, no, no. (laughs) And my daughter and I are left together Mm -hmm. trying to navigate a new kind of relationship because there are now no buffers. Mm -hmm. It's just she and I. Mother, sure. And having been through this together. And figuring it out in a a new way and Mm -hmm. creating something new and different. So she has started, she has become a partner in a company that provides support services and nutritional meals for Mm -hmm. people going through treatments, needing to lead a healthier life based on the legacy she would like to have Mm -hmm. for her brother. So interesting. She was able to turn that into an incredibly sad situation into something positive. Well, because the reality is when we're dealing with grief and grief Mm -hmm. comes not just when someone passes, but when lives are turned inside out and upside down. Mm -hmm. And one of the two of the biggest things we need to find in our lives is meaning and purpose. And so many people, here's one of the reasons that it's so important for caregivers who are providing 24-7 care for someone, whether they're in your home or not, because I know caregivers who go every day, eight or 10 hours a day to the long-term care facility, and they're there with their loved one, well, as be, even if it's not physically there, you're not physically doing something, you're probably always thinking about the person. Correct. I could do more. I could. And again, the feelings are there 24-7, whether or not the physical and, care is provided. And what happens when that's where all your time, energy, and effort is going? Mm-hmm. What happens when that person isn't here anymore? Mm-hmm. Mm. Now, big boy. Do I, yes, your yeah, your purpose in life now seems to be gone. So we have to create. Hopefully, while someone is still alive, mm-hmm. while you're processing the change in your life, what else do you have in your life? Mm-hmm. And one one of the big things for me. Before my son was diagnosed, before he got sick, he had adopted a puppy that was going to be his service dog Mm -hmm. when he left the service. And he had asked my husband and myself, can you help while she's still a puppy till I'm home, help Mm -hmm. take care of her? Absolutely. Well, so now she is my, my dog. 
She is with me 24 seven. And one of the purposes I am working toward with her is for her to be a service dog going in to be with patients in hospitals because that was really important to my Mm -hmm. son. So life takes on, was that something I ever thought I would do? No, Mm -hmm. but is it meaningful and worthwhile? Yes. Mm -hmm. And it's a piece of my son that stays with me. Mm -hmm. A couple things. And I want to make sure we cover the self-care part, at least um, introductory. So if we maybe in the second part of this interview, we can go in depth. But you said you were lucky to continue to have your work. I imagine there are a lot of caregivers that unfortunately have to give up their work, leave the workplace that frequently are studies of women typically right end up doing this and the the financial effects are can be themselves devastating devastating. yes yep and what happens and you know i know they're trying to come up with paid family leave as opposed Mm -hmm. to yes companies are offering you know family leave but it's unpaid Mm -hmm unless mm-hmm. you have accrued an enormous amount of vacation time or right. sick time. And who, yeah, who plans for that sort of thing. But, yeah, so many of us are, we define ourselves by what we do. You know, yep. Not, who are you? Well, I'm a, you know, whatever my work is. And now you also take that away from someone. Exactly. So who, who are you? And what resources do you have? Can you have? And what if it really isn't possible for you to leave your job? What's involved? What resources do you need? Do you need a, a, an elder care attorney to help you navigate applying for financial resources so that your loved one gets either help at home or get, gets daycare programs, um, long-term care facilities? There are options out there albeit not awesome ones when finances are tight and you're above the Medicaid limits and below the ability to afford whatever it is you want to afford. But it's exploring because there are resources out there through the Alzheimer's Association, through like the Michael J. Fox Foundation. There, There are resources that we have to be willing to explore So sometimes it means reaching out to the office for seniors in your county to ask what's available. available. Mm -hmm. Because as I tell people all the time, if you don't ask, the answer Mm -hmm. is always no. Yes, this is very true in every aspect of life. So you can, not that this is necessarily... uh, the focus of what you do, but you must be a tremendous resource for your clients on who may be sort of like deer in the headlamps, don't even know where to go, what's available, who to talk to, which is another burden on top of the daily care. Now you have to manage the the, the loved one's finances. You've got to fight for services. It just, the whole thing is, so, again, overwhelming. But that can be a really good way to get other family members involved and ask them to make the phone calls. Okay. Ask them to do the research. 
mm-hmm. because maybe they can't be there emotionally or physically, but mm-hmm. maybe they can be really good at some of this logistical bureaucratic stuff. Okay. That doesn't require local involvement. Right. They can do thank, this from afar. Thank goodness for the internet. Yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So let's do a quick discussion of now we know all the issues the caregiver is facing, but you also primarily you teach them about self-care. So can you briefly define what that is and also how you work with the client who's fills the guilt, fills the resentment. Now I'm supposed to do this for myself? How does that work? So great, great question. Good lead in because the reality is, is that if we're not taking care of ourselves, we will not be any good to anybody else. And if we all, anybody who has ever been on an airplane knows, (laughs) they give you the instruction, should oxygen be required and you're traveling with a dependent, place the oxygen mask over your face first. Now, it may feel initially very counterintuitive. Oh, no, no, I have to take, take, tell, tell my child, I have to take care of. But the reality is at 30,000 feet, if you're not breathing, mm-hmm. you will drop dead before you can even get the oxygen on someone else. Down here at ground level, the truth of the matter is, is that if we are not taking care of ourselves, we will feel greater anger, resentment, frustration, and that will lead to more guilt, more disappointment, depression, anxiety. So it isn't either taking care of my loved one or I'm taking care of myself. I can make it an end. I can take care of myself and my loved one. And it, we don't have to be talking about expensive weeks away. You may love that. And it may be something, again, as a long-term goal, I want to go away for a long weekend. I need a week's vacation. We get to work toward putting something in place for that. But on a daily basis, there are things we can do. Spend an extra two minutes in the shower, just letting the water run over you. Linger for a little longer over your morning cup of coffee or tea. Sit outside. Take a walk around the house. If you're afraid to leave your loved one alone in the house, walk around your house outside. If you're in an apartment building, walk up and down the hallway a few times. I created some meditations for people. There's, I have a two-minute meditation. Every time you go to the bathroom, you can do a two-minute meditation that just hits a reset button. It makes you breathe. You know, the title of my book, when I first was writing it, was going to be, And We Breathe. Breathe, which is a line that you share with everyone with all everyone. the time. And I, I do, it does make me breathe when I read that, so. But I was told, no, the book, the title of the book needs to tell people what it's about. They need to know this isn't a respiratory therapy book. Um, (laughs) Okay. So it gives you pause. You're going to hear a demand 
a request. That phone is going to ring 20 dozen times a day. And we breathe. Slow it down. Be able to pause. And sometimes taking a pause is all we need. I tell, do not ask for a break. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. no, we don't want to break okay. anything. Mm-hmm. We want to pause. We and want to time out. Well, it's the, it must also be part of the mindfulness of it. I am taking a pause. I am aware of what I'm doing. It isn't just, oh, it happened, but the consciousness of it, being in it at the time. Right. And people will say to me, I don't have time for that. We don't make time for it based on a belief. What's pushing us? Mm-hmm. What's drive, you know, driving us? How many times, if anybody has raised children and the baby's crying in the crib and you're in the middle of going to the bathroom, do you let the baby cry for another moment? Mm-hmm. Sure. We're not leaving them overnight screaming. I got to finish mm-hmm. what I'm doing. Boy. So we take that breath. Even if all you can do is take that breath before you walk into a room. Mm-hmm. How many mm-hmm. times have you walked into a room and gone, what is it now? Versus. Yes. Sure. Mm-hmm. What is it now? Same words, mm-hmm. different tone, different feeling. Because yes. you matter. Mm-hmm. And you won't feel like you matter until you actually start doing something that lets you know mm-hmm. you matter. The interaction with the one you're caring for must be impacted, I would think. But if you come in calm, having paused and taking that breath and asking that question a different way i can't help if the caregiver is of a consciousness and able to to right. feel that you feel different i mean even the one cared for might have a lot of guilt actually that i've imposed myself on my my child or something like that and just to have to have the caregiver be calm probably impacts the entire caregiving situation It does. And if the person you're caring for shows gratitude and appreciation for what you're doing because Mm -hmm. they feel bad that you're in this situation or that they are the way they are, Mm -hmm. makes it a little easier for the caregiver because they do feel appreciated. Mm -hmm. But what about those people who have always been demanding, always Mm -hmm. expected to be waited on? Mm-hmm. And now you're not doing it well enough. And the feeling you get is no matter what I do, it's never good enough. Mm-hmm. And that triggers a whole lot of what was the relationship like before? Is this how your mother, your father, even your spouse has always been? Mm-hmm. That we learn to tolerate so much that we don't even realize we're tolerating anymore. It's just become normal. So it's changing that message. It's, I take nothing personally. They're 
bitching and moaning or they're being critical or they're being difficult. And we're putting for the moment dementia aside when they really cannot help themselves. It isn't them. Mm-hmm. So just they're not even right there. Yeah. And that's, that changes over time with an Alzheimer's patient. I imagine. The self-care that's required is the same. Mm-hmm. But our interactions, when somebody is cognitively aware, then we get to set different boundaries. Mm-hmm. And we can go through a few steps. Number one is always, and we breathe, because mm-hmm. we have to take a step back. It gives us an opportunity to respond rather than react. Number two is my favorite question, which is what's your desired outcome? And Mm. we're asking it of ourselves. So what's my my desired outcome? And a desired outcome has to fulfill two requirements. Number one, it has to be what I want not what I don't want. And number two, it has to be something over which I have control. I bet no one's ever asked a caregiver to ask them, right? ask themselves that question. So a desired outcome, I used the example of this woman I knew years ago who had a little black dog Mm -hmm. who passed away. And the following year, she had another little black dog. And I said, oh, you replaced, you know, whatever the dog's name was. And she goes, yeah, I didn't want a black dog. I wanted something different. I looked on all these sites and I just kept saying, I don't want a black dog. I just don't want a black dog. And the only thing that kept showing up were black dogs. Whatever we put our minds to Mm -hmm. gets bigger. So if we say... I don't want a black dog. The only mm-hmm. thing your mind is focused on are black dogs. Yes. Okay. What You're do right. I yeah. You can't do it from the negative. It can't be right. what you don't want. It's what you do want. And what do I have control over? Well, I don't have control over my mother calling me a dozen times a day or mm-hmm. making demands that are outrageous. I have no control over that. She's going to make whatever demands she makes. Call me however many times. My control is whether I answer the phone each and every time. Wow. Sure that what if, them even cross their mind that they could necessarily what if I let that? What if I let this phone call go to voicemail? Even mm-hmm. if I'm going to call back in a minute, mm-hmm. I have that mm-hmm. minute to breathe, to focus on, okay, how do I want to handle this? Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm only going to call her back when. I can sit quietly with a cup of tea, maybe a glass of wine. I don't Mm -hmm. know. One woman could only speak with her mother when she was sitting in her comfortable chair in her living room because she knew her mother agitated her, was always being critical and difficult. And she used to talk to her mother when she was on her way home from work. And so the drive home from work was nerve wracking and aggravating. Mm And what, what's your desired outcome? I want to be able to communicate in a way that feels good to me. And when we recognize, okay, I can't take anything personally. My mother's going to be critical. So, he, so here, here are the steps. Number one is, and we breathe. 
Mm-hmm. Number two, we get clear on our desired outcome. Number three, let me repeat back what I've heard you ask me for. So you want me to come and take care of X, Y, Z at the house, or you need me to run an errand, or you need need X, Y, Z to be delivered to you. Let me repeat back what I've heard. I'm going to let you know I heard you. Did I hear you correctly? Was I clear? Mm Mm-hmm. Your loved one gets to say, yes, that's what I need. Okay. Next step. De-escalates the, something that could be building up negatively. Because it's the down again, a few notches. I'm not fighting with you. I'm not saying mm-hmm. I can't do that now. What? No. I can do that for you in an hour. I can do it for you tomorrow. I can mm-hmm. take care of that for you over the weekend. I'm learning to say no with compassion as opposed to that knee jerk reaction of God, no, really again, really, you Uh couldn't tell me this yesterday. And, you know, for anybody (laughs) who's raised children and I, you know, kind of Mm -hmm. hesitate using a child analogy, but, you know, we get our kids all bundled up to go out in the snow or to get in the car. And then they tell you they have to go to the bathroom. And it's like, Really? You couldn't do this five minutes ago? Uh, And we breathe. Let's go to the bathroom. So the self-care begins, just honor yourself. Honor what, find out what you need and honor that in yourself as much as you would the person you're trying to care for. So it isn't an either or. It becomes Mm -hmm. an and very clearly. Because when we go through these steps, and the final one being, I hear how important this is to you, mom. Mm. I get it. I know that this is something you really need or want. And I love you and I'll take care of it for you. And then end the conversation. And if it escalates because your loved one gets angry and frustrated, say, you know what? I'll call you back. And if you're on the phone, End the conversation. If you're Mm -hmm. in the same space, I'm going to run to the bathroom. I'll be right back. Because when Mm -hmm. you come back, you've given time Mm -hmm. for the energy in the room to shift. Okay. Yeah, it's almost like the count to 10. Yep. First. One thing I want to touch on before we go, because this has been fascinating and helpful and got some friends that I know we're going to want to listen to this. What would you say to somebody who's not the caregiver directly themselves, but they're the friends or family member of someone you know is in the midst of this? So many times we feel awkward. We don't know what to say, what to do. Do you offer respite care? Do you just not talk about it, which I'm sure is awkward. So so what would you, some couple of things you could advise, friend or family member of caregiver, mostly friend. Because family dynamic is already in there. It's already can be an issue. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole another. I would say show up. Be willing to make a call and say, I'm here. Mm-hmm. I love you. There may not be anything you can physically do, but we have to honor the fact that we are human beings, not human doings. 
And we tend to feel better when we're doing something because it gives us a feeling of control. I'm worthwhile. I I can help. Mm -hmm. But we minimize the importance and value of just being a friend. And I know over this last year and a half, the people who had been in my life kind of fell away because they didn't know what to say. They didn't well, certainly know. in your situation, I mean, they totally overwhelmed each other. And, and they didn't know what to do. And I would say, when they would say to me early on, oh, I don't even know what to say. I said, there are no words. But a hug, virtual or real, mm-hmm. counts. Showing up. Say, being able to say honestly with your friend, you know, I know you're going through a lot with your husband, with your mom. I'm here. I care. You know, I've got two ears and two shoulders mm-hmm. and a big heart. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's enough. The mm-hmm. one advantage that's come up over the last year is, you know what? Getting deliveries are really easy now. Okay. You know, I I may not need to ask my neighbor down the street to pick up a quart of milk on their way home from work or whatever, because mm-hmm. Instacart and Amazon are, and whole, all the stores are just delivering so easily now. Mm-hmm. So, but can I ask somebody, you know what, I need X, Y, and Z. Could you, you know, mm-hmm. place the order for me? Right. Because okay. that can take time too. Mm-hmm. Sure. So you, oh, yeah. you may not want to devote to that. Mm-hmm. Can you make sure, if you want to ask a sibling, make sure mom's prescriptions are ready for delivery or pickup or whatever. Mm-hmm. There are things you can just say, I'm here and okay. you matter to me. Mm-hmm. I am your friend and I'm here for you. As the caregiver, you may not even know what to ask for. Because it must take a while before you would know. Well, because so, so many things are just little things, but there's mm-hmm. an expression that's, you know, that I grew up with that a little and a little makes a full bowl. You know, it mm-hmm. may not be a big deal to throw a load of laundry in, it may not be a big deal to fold the laundry, it may not be mm-hmm. a big deal to load a dishwasher. None of these things are big, but mm-hmm. everything takes time. So we may not think to ask, oh, that's not a big deal. That's not a big deal. Breathe. Desired outcome. I would like some ease in my life, some comfort. What will help me have ease and comfort? And then you have a conversation. Mm-hmm. Well, this might be a good place to take a break, take a pause. We'll breathe a little bit. <laughs> Where can people learn more about you? your work, your book, your Facebook group, which we didn't get a chance to address yet. Where can they learn about you? Where should they go? Anybody can go to the Facebook group, Take Back Your Life, uh, self-care for for overwhelmed caregivers. If you want something really quick to get started on, you can go to takebackyourlifeguide.com, which is my step-by-step guide. That literally is like having a roadmap to work through what your desired outcome is, what some of your options are, 
you get an audio, you get a transcript, and you get the actual guide for mm-hmm. taking steps to move in the direction you want to go. My website is my name, laurengelbergoff.com. And Lauren is spelled L O R E N. Most people don't spell it that way. Not that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, I am going to place links to all of the things you just mentioned and a few more things that you you shared with me so listeners can find them on the, my website. Thank you so much for this first episode. We'll be focusing on some new issues next time. But thanks again. God bless you. Breathe. And thanks so much for joining me. Oh, thank you, Felicia. This was great. And I wish everybody ease and yes remember to breathe. Okay. Ah. That's it for this episode of Help Me to Understand. If you like what you've heard, please go to our website, helpme2understand.com to listen to more great episodes. Or better yet, subscribe to receive new episodes as they are released. I'm so glad you can join me. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.